Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of giant mechas. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about robots. That doesn't sound like Jason. I am Jason. You look a little shiny. I am human Jason. You haven't blinked once in as long as I've been staring at you here. Activating blink sequence. You're blinking in a base number sequence. Activating randomization sequence. Okay. Okay, now now you look human. Except that weird grin on your face. Abort. Abort. Death to all humans. Death to all humans. Oh, whoa, turn them off. Turn them off. Death to all humans. Cut the power. Death to all humans. Sorry about that, Paul. My podcasting robot isn't quite there yet, I think. Yeah, I could use a little work on the programming. Yeah. I still haven't figured out that thing, you know, to, to keep them from going all death to all humans. Yeah, you didn't program that in? He just came up with that on his own? Yeah, I don't know. When I turned him on, that was like the first thing he said. Okay. At least now he's like, it takes him a little while to get there, but still have some work to do. Anyway, today we're talking about robots, and this topic was suggested by Josh Spiro. Thank you, Josh. He reached out to us on Instagram, and we also have Josh to thank for that Tanuki episode we did back in episode 41. He also suggested that one, which was a great topic, probably my favorite episode still that we've done. The Tunuki episode was so fun. Yeah. But this one, I think, is going to be really fun, too. So thanks for another great suggestion, Josh. Absolutely. Josh also took the time to create that robotic intro music you heard at the very beginning. It's just so cool that he took the time to do that. Yeah, such a fun way to start the episode. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Well, should we get into it? Let's talk robots. So Japan is really into robots, I think you could say. They envision a future where humans and robots can live in harmony. Actually, Paul, did you hear anything about Society 5.0? I did. They've got big plans in Japan. Mm -hmm. The Society 5.0 initiative aims to use new technological innovations like artificial intelligence, robotics, the Internet of Things, to create an optimized, sustainable world. Sounds like a good goal. Yeah, it sounds like they're hoping that technology can revolutionize their society and fix some of their problems that they're facing these days, most specifically probably their uh, shrinking workforce. they got an aging population, they're having less babies, less people to work, and robots are good at working. Yeah, that's a serious problem for a modern-day economy. Mm-hmm. To have the workforce shrink a little bit year after year after year, after decades of that, it's a massive difference and it puts a lot of strain on the economy. Yeah, especially considering all of the older people that are still around but not in the workforce anymore. You know, all the rest of the people that are working have to support them somehow. Yeah, long lifespans and low fertility rates make the population skew much older in Japan than it does in most other countries. So there's a huge number of retired people versus working people. And that number is just going to keep increasing for years to come. Yeah, so they've been putting robots to work. I saw that as of 2017, 
Japan employed around 300,000 industrial robots, and they're the world's leading supplier of industrial robots as well. But to be honest, in my opinion, those industrial robots are kind of the least exciting robots. I'm looking for like humanoid android robots that we can talk to and stuff. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I know what you're saying. Like these industrial robots are doing things like building cars and, you know, they're on assembly lines and stuff. It's mostly just kind of those big robotic arms that are good at picking up stuff and moving them around or painting things or whatever. Yep. Those robots are really important for the economy, but they're not as fun. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're going to talk about all the different types of robots that are out there. You got those humanoid entertainment robots, androids, animal robots, all that stuff. But first, let's talk about why Japan is so interested in robots. We already mentioned one of the big reasons is that it's kind of seen as a necessity, right? Yeah, it's a solution to a problem. Japan has the attitude where they prefer automation over immigration. They've never allowed a lot of immigrants into Japan, and they don't seem to want to do that. Most other wealthy nations are allowing at least some decent flow of immigrants to help fill the workforce for them. But Japan would rather build robots. I mean, immigrants are cool, but so are robots. Robots are pretty cool. Yeah. The Japanese government invests heavily in the robotics industry to help build that future society they envision and also to boost their economy because it's a really important developing industry worldwide. Yeah, so that's maybe the most practical answer to the question of why is Japan so into robots. We all know you're not here to be practical today, (laughs) Jason. (laughs) Uh, So I came across a lot of articles that talked about the different ways that robots are perceived in Japan versus in the West. Getting a little philosophical here. I like it. Let's do it. So in the West. Terminator. Exactly. (laughs) How did you know I was going to Terminator? That's what I think of. Yeah. A lot of media in the West has focused on the potential dangers of robotics and artificial intelligence, right? Terminator is a great example, right? It's all about the war between humans and machines. There are other movies like 2001, A Space Odyssey, where I I never actually saw that movie, to be completely honest, but Hal is the robot, right? He decides that humans aren't worth having around. (laughs) Yeah. Then you got iRobot. There's Wally. And, you know, even in Wally, the robots are nice and cute and fun, and they're not, you know, out for the death of humanity or anything, but it was kind of an example of how robots might allow humanity to destroy itself, right? Yeah. Robots weren't bad in Wally, but they were a symbol of what was wrong with humanity in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So Western media focuses on, you know, kind of the downfalls that we could see with robots. Maybe robots decide they don't like humans, or maybe there are revolts. Maybe they don't like being subjugated by humanity. But in Japan, Japanese media, they often portray a utopian future where humans and robots are living together in harmony, and uh, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, right? For example, a really big example early on was Astro Boy. Uh, We talked about Astro Boy in... 
the anime and manga episode, I guess. Yeah, oh yeah. So he was an android boy who was a friend to humanity. In Neon Genesis Evangelion, Classic. Paul, I know you're a fan of that one, as am I, there are these giant fighting robots piloted by humans that are basically the only things standing in the way of human extinction. The robots can fight against external forces coming and trying to wipe out humanity. And there were a lot of other mecha-type ideas where robots were a way to augment humanity's power and, uh, again, a symbiotic relationship. So I saw a couple important people in the industry saying that that was a major factor in Japan's fascination with robots and the desire to develop them. So what's the reason for this difference in perception? Why is it that Japan and the West are looking at robots from different perspectives like this, I saw some people hypothesizing that maybe that difference could have to do with religious contexts. Yeah, in Shintoism, which is Japan's state religion, every inanimate object is deserving respect, is a little bit sacred, has a little piece of something in it. Yeah, there's like a spirit in everything, right? Yeah. There's nothing setting humanity apart as special or above everything else. We're all made of the same stuff. We all have the same divinity in us. So it's not so strange for robots to act human-like. You know, they're just expressing their kami, their soul, their divinity. Actually, the creator of Astro Boy himself, Osamu Tezuka, said, quote, Japanese don't make a distinction between man, the superior creature, and the world about him. Everything is fused together, and we accept robots easily along with the wide world about us. The insects, the rocks, it's all one. We have none of the doubting attitude towards robots as pseudo-humans that you find in the West. So here you find no resistance, simply quiet acceptance. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is. So speaking of Tezuka... You also mentioned iRobot earlier, which mm -hmm. is written by Isaac Asimov, very famous sci-fi writer. And Asimov had the three rules of robots. And Tezuka has his three laws, I guess I should say, too. And the first two align. They both basically agree that robots should not harm or kill humans and that robots should serve humans or listen to humans. But it's the third law where they're different. Asimov says robots should not kill themselves, whereas Tezuka says robots should be granted the ability to live free and equal lives. He's trying to build within the own laws of the robot itself that it is equal, whereas in the Western view from Asimov, they are there to serve us, and they will not rebel, and they will not kill themselves, and yeah. they will stay our servants forever. That's really interesting. Because, yeah, I saw, you know, people were talking about Shinto and what that means about, you know, how we should view robots. And then they contrasted that with Abrahamic religions, which they said regard humanity as God's greatest creation, and everything else on earth is just there to serve humanity. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, whereas. The dominant Western religious view right now seems to be everything's here for us. All of this was created for us to use how we see fit. We don't have to respect it or give anything back to it. It's all just here, and we're going to make the most of it. 
Whereas I suppose the Shinto idea would be you're kind of connected to everything and everything's connected to everything else and only take what you need. Mm-hmm. There's also in modern day West, the fear of job loss gets played up. Where in Japan, they're like, please come replace these jobs we can't fill. Even though in America, there are jobs right now that we can't fill. Mostly jobs that people don't want for various reasons, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But Andrew Yang, an American politician, has become really famous for sounding the alarm. on Once we have self-driving cars, for example, hundreds of thousands of truckers are going to lose their jobs. And what are these people going to do? And I think there's a point there, but... I also think robots are going to create a ton of wealth and that there's going to be enough wealth. We just need to find ways to make it fairer for everybody, probably. Yeah. I'm not super confident that's going to happen, at least in the West. Yeah, based on what's been going on for several decades now, it seems... uh... But we're not quite there yet, so that's a problem for another day. Yep, yep. And robots aren't the problem. Humans are. Yeah. Man, it's going to be fascinating to see how humanity decides to deal with all these questions that are going to come up with robots. It's it's inevitable that we're going to have to deal with all these ethical issues. I mean, for robots and for humans, you know, once artificial intelligence gets to the point that they're indistinguishable from humans, I mean, that could be a, a long ways in the future, but eventually we're going to have to face it and it'll be interesting. I mean, we we might not be around for it, but... There's the ethical issues today of the military robots. Mm. When you have unmanned military robots dropping bombs and shooting guns, there's definitely some ethical questions that could be discussed in that. But yeah, definitely. That's kind of a different topic. Mm-hmm. So another idea I came across in my research is that maybe the history of industrial-scale slavery in the West may have had an influence on Western attitudes towards robots. That Uh, is interesting. Yeah. I I suppose from my perspective, when you think of like, we're going to create all these robots, I do kind of think of them as like this slave workforce. Mm -hmm. That's just, they're just going to work all day, every day. Like, why would you give robot time off? They're going to work 24 hours if you can get anything out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some people suggesting maybe there's this deep-seated fear of being overthrown by the oppressed that has been present in Western culture since the beginning of the slave trade? There certainly is in America. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I guess you could argue that the last administration kind of uh, fed on that fear. They were born from that fear. (laughs) Yeah. Paul, did you come across the name Douglas Rushkoff in your research at all? Doesn't sound familiar. So he's a writer that wrote a book about how humans and technology interact. And I read an article that he wrote where he talked about how he was invited to talk to some like super rich investment banker type people about the future of technology. But the discussion kind of went in a different direction than he expected. Basically, these guys started asking him about how they could protect themselves after society collapses whether it's due to the impending climate crisis or social unrest or nuclear war or some massive hack or a new, bigger, worse pandemic or something like that. They're asking, like, how are we going to maintain our authority over our own personal security force after society collapses? And they were talking about things like locking down the food supply, making guards wear disciplinary collars 
in return for their survival. Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> what? What? Wow. Yeah. Doesn't that remind you of Battle Royale? The the collars? Yeah. Kind of give that, them control over people? That. That's crazy. Like, that's what these guys are wasting their time thinking about. It's one thing to, like, prep and, like, just having all the food will give you power, but these guys are so vapid. They're like, what if someone steals it from me? You know, with my own security force rebels. Yeah. So they were exploring the idea of using robot guards. And they were asking if the technology can be developed in time for some big cataclysmic event like that. Okay. Uh, where are you going to get your electricity from? Where are you going to get... Society collapsed. These guys have no idea how messed up things is going to get. They're not going to be able to get anything. They're not going to be able to get medicine. They're not going to be able to get electricity. They're not going to be able to get spare parts for anything. I'm sure they're planning for all that. This isn't the only guy they met with about their future plans, I'm sure. <laughs> well, good. I hope all these billionaires waste their money prepping for disasters that hopefully don't come. Yeah. <laughs> that is fascinating, though. Yeah, I was just... I don't know. When invite I came you to come that. talk about robots, and all of a sudden there's talking about post-apocalyptic food rebellions. Like <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Hey, they have visions. They're looking into the future that most people don't even think about. So yeah, there are a lot of interesting ideas out there about the future of humanity and robots and how that relationship is going to look. We'll just have to wait and see, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk about the history of robots. Yes. What do you got first, Paul? What's the oldest thing you found about robots? Do you have like mythical stories of robots at all? Or are you going straight into like actual robots being created? I was going to start in the Edo period. I don't have anything about mythological robots. Do you? Well, there's stories from many different cultures about various types of artificial life forms that sometimes get credited as robots. Okay. Like a lot of ancient gods had either clay golems or like metal men, like as their followers that were not alive, but were uh, kind of alive. So the idea of humanoid robots even goes back over 2,000 years, at least. Wow. There's a whole Chinese story about an emperor who met an engineer that made robots, and (laughs) it goes on and on. That's so cool that that's such an old idea. And isn't it interesting? Like, I've noticed that whenever humans start developing some new technology, it seems like it's always based on science fiction. Like, Nobody comes up with an idea and then immediately starts making that thing. Everything is based on these ideas that came before about like, wouldn't it be cool if in the future people could do this, you know? I think that's one of the reasons where diversity is strength. You know, you need somebody to be a dreamer to dream it up. You need somebody to be a practical person that sees that dream and makes it a reality when everyone else thought it was just a dream. Mm Mm-hmm. It takes, it takes a lot sometimes. Yeah. It still blows my mind that when we were kids, you know, we're watching Star Trek and they had iPads, you know, 
The things yeah. that they're walking yeah. around with showing all this data on there. It's, I thought those were so cool when I was a kid watching Star Trek. Yeah. They got a little computer right in their hand. They're literally iPads. Yeah. Crazy. I've actually got a little bit of world history here because I found some things that were so cool. Okay, tell before me. Before we get to Japan. In 1066, a Chinese inventor named Su Song built a water clock in the form of a tower that had mechanical figures that chimed the hours. So we're talking a thousand years ago. Wow. <laughs> and he had this mechanism built in where you could move pegs in the back that changed when the drum got hit. So you could change the rhythm of what the clock played by moving pegs in the back of the tower. Cool. I thought that was super inventive. Yeah. It's like the first uh, music sequencer, rhythm sequencer kind of thing. Yeah. And then I got one more guy because this guy was incredible. In the 13th century, there was a Muslim scientist, Ismail al-Jazari. He created several automated devices. He created moving peacocks driven by hydropower. He invented the first known automatic gates that were also powered by hydropower. He created a humanoid robot that served drinks. Okay. It was apparently behind a wall, and a tank would slowly fill, and every seven minutes it would fill and dump into a glass, and the waitress robot would pop out holding the glass or something <laughs> like that, and you know, serve your drink for you. I wish we had video of this stuff. I would love to see that. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. We're getting to about the Edo period now. Uh, there's one guy in France in the 1700s that built a robotic duck that could flap its wings and move its head, and it also pooped. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, that's a really important thing you got to build into the robot. Yeah, because the robot could eat. It would pick up things with its mouth and eat mm. or swallow them somehow. So he's like, well, it goes in. It's got to come out, right? <laughs> I just thought that was so hilarious. Even 300 years ago, they were, they were making robots, and they were like, we should make it poop. <laughs> <laughs> Humans never change. Yeah, that's true. That's Let's great. get to Japan, though. So among the first robot-like things to appear in Japan were these mechanical dolls called Karakuri Ningyo. So in the Edo period, started in 1603, the Japanese adapted European clock-making technology to make these dolls, and they could do all sorts of crazy, really complex things. Like, they could serve tea, which I guess was not unprecedented at that point. <laughs> there was one that can shoot a bow and arrow. There's one that can, like, paint. I think it painted a kanji character on a... Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's amazing... Like you can actually find videos of this stuff on YouTube. And what's, what I thought was so amazing is how human-like their motions look. You know, they don't look like mechanical beep boop, I'm a robot kind of thing. Like they... <laughs> beep boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, their motions are fluid, you know? Yeah, they look really beautiful. Yeah, and it's super impressive, that technology. I saw there was a guy that they had books from the time period describing how to build these things. Mm -hmm. There was a modern-day guy that tried to build one. It took him 10 years to build a working model. That's how complex and amazing these things are. Yeah. Like, so wow. cool. 
uh, clock making technology. Yeah. That's crazy. Just full of little gears and stuff, I guess. But I guess even clocks are amazing. The yeah. first time they figured out how to make a clock or a pocket watch. Ah, oh, man. That must have changed everything. Yeah. Meet me half past noon. Would you look up in the sky and just guess? It's about, it's about time to go meet Jason. They had sundial watches, you know? No, just they did it. <laughs> just a little metal ring and a little <laughs> post sticking up in the middle. And like, oh, let me check the shadow right here. No, I'm kidding. I think I saw that in like a comic or something as yeah. a joke, though. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that, too. Mm. Paul, did you read about the Gakuten Soku robot? No. In 1928, a biologist named Makoto Nishimura created the Gakuten Soku robot. So in contemporary media at that time, apparently even in Japan, robots were often portrayed as slaves to humans. But Nishimura wanted to create a more human-like robot that could be a friend to people and celebrate nature and humanity. So he created this humanoid robot that could change its facial expression. It could move its head and hands. It could write words. Pretty impressive for the time period, 1928. Yeah, that's crazy. I saw some pictures. It's uh, pretty big, as I recall. With all the complex machinery in there, it's easier if you kind of scale it up a bit. Yeah. But still impressive. As I mentioned earlier, in the 1950s and 60s, a character called Astro Boy became very popular in manga and anime. He, he was a, a young boy android with human emotions. So he's, he can be a friend to humanity. He can get along with people. Still one of the most successful manga and anime franchises in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that as a historical landmark, I guess. And it continued from there. Shows like Gundam and Evangelion, like you mentioned earlier, all portrayed working with robots to protect humanity. Mm -hmm. Like it just kept going. It's become just a normal plot line or normal thought. Mm -hmm. So around the same time in the mid-1900s, a professor named Ichiro Kato of Waseda University, he was working on developing humanoid robots. And in 1972, he completed the Wabot 1. Wabot. Wabot. <laughs> Wa, you know, refers to Japan, so Japan bot, I mm -hmm, suppose. Mm -hmm. I assume that's what the name came from. This was the world's first full-scale humanoid intelligent robot. It had two arms, it walked around on two legs, it could talk, and it even had camera eyes that allowed it to see the world around it. In the 1960s, Industrial robots started popping up in the U.S. and Japan. They started to see those in factories, boosting productivity and whatnot. Yeah, they became really big in the auto industry. Mm -hmm. If you think of an auto plant, all those big robot arms flying around. Yeah. The robot arms are supposed to make you think precision, accuracy, everything's exactly the same. Yeah, you don't have to rely on stupid, pathetic human hands. <laughs> so yeah, industrial robots became a massive industry in Japan. By the 1990s, Japan had more industrial robots in use than any other country in the world. So you can see why they got their reputation as the robot place. Yeah. Japan was manufacturing a ton of electronics at the time, and they still do make a lot of electronics. And robots are heavily used in electronic manufacturing because of cleanliness. And efficiency and... yeah. Working on Precision. all those little small pieces, mm -hmm. it's just hard for humans to do. Yeah, robots are better than people. 
Full stop. <laughs> Is that robot Jason again? I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. <laughs> I'm Jason 2.0. <laughs> Wait a second. Let's move on. So in 2016, Japan exported around $1.6 billion worth of industrial robots, more than the next five biggest exporters combined. Wow. Should I list the next five biggest exporters? Is that interesting enough? Can I guess? Sure, go for it. Um, United States. Yes. Germany. Yes. China. No. South Korea. Yes. Two more? Two more. France? Yep. Great Britain? Nope. Ah, two strikes. I'm giving up. It's a tough one. Italy. Italy? Yeah. Go Italy. Yeah. That's cool. It is cool. Uh, in these days, Japan is developing all sorts of amazing technologies and automation to, as we said, address their shrinking labor force. I saw an article from 2015 that said that researchers had calculated that up to 49% of jobs could be done by robots within the next 10 to 20 years. That just hit too close to home. It's a lot of robots, a lot of jobs. Yeah, they're talking about automation at my work. Are they? At some point in the future, yeah. It'll, it'll cost some money to happen, but... For stocking and stuff? Do they have, like, self-checkout already there? They must, right? No. Oh. That's, that's, what, that's what the thought is. Okay, yeah. Maybe self-checkout someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's someone's job. Well, you'll still be there, right? The robots need somebody to manage them. I don't know if they do. I mean, right now, those self-checkout machines kind of suck. Or at least, I don't know, maybe it's user error. Yeah, the machine's only as good as the cashier. <laughs> we have a bunch of untrained people coming in. Yeah. Eh, it's got its ups and its doubts. Yeah. There are those people who don't want to talk to anybody and just want to use the self-checkout. I got to be honest with you, Paul. I always use the self-checkout if it's available. Got to be honest with you, Jason. I am not one bit surprised. <laughs> I've talked about how my favorite ramen place is the one where you don't have to talk to people. <laughs> yeah, I feel like your thought process when you want to go out is like, how bad do I want this thing? How long is it going to take? Am I going to have to talk to anybody? You're like weighing the pros and cons. You know me too well, Paul. <laughs> see, Robot Jason is never going to be able to get past you. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Keep trying. All right. I'll keep working on it. All right, should we get into the meat of the episode? I feel like, I mean, we've been talking so long already, but there's so many exciting robots to talk about. Yeah. What types of robots do you want to talk about? Well, I feel like we need to, I need to just say a little bit more about industrial robots just because it's such a massive industry and they're kind of the main ones that are actually in use in Japan these days. Okay. So in most cases, these industrial robots seem kind of just like programmable arms that can do all sorts of different types of jobs in manufacturing, logistics, warehousing. They do things like welding, assembly, painting, palletizing. Packaging. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of uh, less exciting than the humanoid ones that you can interact with. But I did see that they're working on some pretty cool artificial intelligence-based software that they want to put into industrial robots so that you don't even need to program motions into them. They want to have these robot arms that can think and learn and adjust to different situations. 
Yeah, I did hear there were some industrial robots out there that could learn and get more efficient as time went on. Yeah, pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. The one thing I thought was interesting about industrial robots is, you know, I always thought about the arm moving around, but I didn't think the other part of the robot is the end effector, which is basically like the hand. Mm-hmm. It can be a hand. It could be a blowtorch. It could be so many different things. They have a huge variety of different attachments for the ends of these arms to make it do all this different stuff that it can do. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, one big advantage of robotics is that they're modular. You know, you can take a piece off if it doesn't do quite what you want it to, and then just stick a new piece on. It gives it a whole new capability. Yeah. The same arm can do many different tasks depending upon how it's programmed and what tools is on the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get into humanoid entertainment robots. (laughs) Okay. They're shaped like humans. Mm -hmm. They're there to entertain. Okay. And they're robots. What do you got? Uh, It reminds me of like the band at Chuck E. Cheese. That definitely came into my (laughs) mind too. (laughs) (laughs) The big animals playing music. Yeah. So probably the most famous humanoid entertainment robot I came across was Ozimo. Yeah, I suppose he's an entertainment robot. He'd kick a soccer ball. That always wows everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh! yeah. So Ozimo is a robot that was first unveiled by Honda in the year 2000. His name stands for Advanced Step in Innovative Mobility. Did you know they stopped updating him about 10 years ago? Yeah, they stopped development. But... He's so cool, he still does demonstrations all over the place all yeah. the time. Yeah, you can still go see him. And that's kind of the impression I get is that he's just kind of a proof of concept. Like he's there to show what they can do. You know, they can build a humanoid robot that can actually walk around without falling over. He can interact with people and things. Yeah, they actually build a number of robots that they're selling to actually do things based on the technology they develop for him. Right, exactly. Even though they stopped developing that robot yeah. himself, they're still using those technologies and all sorts of other things. He's just a demo. He's just a sales prototype. Mm-hmm. Another one I saw that was kind of fun is uh, if Honda's doing something, Toyota's got to try to compete, right? Oh, of so course. Toyota made what it called partner robots. These guys debuted at the 2005 World Expo in Aichi, and they had a robot band. Okay. Again, going back to the yeah. Chuck E. Cheese thing. <laughs> So you can find videos on YouTube of, of these robots. They're playing horns and drums, and they're, they're pretty good. I didn't know Chuck E. Cheese was such a visionary. Yeah. Another example I had of humanoid entertainment robots is in this video that was sent to me by Josh, the, the listener that requested this episode. He sent me a, a video of robot pro wrestling. <laughs> that sounds so cool. It is super cool, and I highly recommend anybody hearing my words right now to go on YouTube and type in robot pro wrestling. So there are these little robots. They look more or less humanoid, but they're still very, you know, mechanical robot type things. They're around two feet tall and they're in a wrestling ring fighting each other. And it's hilarious. (laughs) Like they, they do these little taunting dances and stuff. (laughs) And there's even a, there's a robot ref in there. (laughs) So they are remote controlled and they're not autonomous robots, but it's still very fun to watch. And uh, yeah, you should check it out. Reminds me of BattleBots. Yeah, I thought of that show too. 
Those were entertainment robots, I guess. Yeah. Not humanoid. Right. They're, they had a lot of spinning blades and flamethrowers and stuff. Yeah, little hammers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about androids? Yeah. So these are robots that are designed to look and act like humans. They're not just humanoid. They're supposed to be as close to humans as possible. First thing that pops into my mind is Data from Star Trek. Yeah, same here for sure. I think it'll be a pretty long time before we get to that point, but they're definitely working on it. Mm -hmm. So at that same uh, World Expo in Aichi in 2005, where they had the band of robots, they also debuted uh, Actroid, a realistic female robot that can like emulate human body language and speech and stuff. To my eye, still very much in the uncanny valley, <laughs> but impressive. Should we talk about the uncanny valley? Is that a common knowledge kind of thing? Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. The uncanny valley. Basically, the idea is that people are comfortable with robots that don't look like humans. But the closer they get to looking like humans, there's a certain point where they're similar to humans, but they're not quite there. And in that space, which they call the uncanny valley, people perceive these robots as just super creepy. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Until they start looking enough like humans, then they're okay again. Exactly. They need to be able to pass as humans. And until they get to that point, it's like, you just feel like this, this I feel like I should feel good about this, but there's something off. Yeah. That's just how our brains work. Mm-hmm. If you look at something and it's, it's either clearly a human or it's clearly not a human, but if you look at something and it's like almost a human, but something's not right, that's where it hits you like, wait, what? And you start feeling weird and you get uncomfortable because your mind can't place it clearly as not a human. Exactly. Yeah. But it's clearly not a human. Mm-hmm. So another Android I saw that was pretty fun is called Hanako. She's a humanoid robot designed for the training of dental professionals. <laughs> so she's got teeth and opens her mouth? Yeah, and... I'm sorry to say this. I'm sorry for the developers of Hanako, but it's freaky, man. It's freaky. So there's like, she's laying down in a, in a dental chair thing, and she can blink, roll her eyes, she can sneeze, shake her head, cough, move her tongue. She can get tired of holding her mouth open. Basically, they programmed in all those annoying things that human patients do, you know? They wanted to train dentists to be used to all the stuff that they might have to deal with. Okay. So does she, can you program her to be a difficult patient? Yeah, exactly. She'll say things like, yeah, of course I floss every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Then you got to call her out. Well, I just cleaned your teeth and clearly you don't. And then you get in a fist fight. You know, she can do everything. (laughs) I'm joking about the last few things that I said, but. It's pretty cool. You can look that one up on YouTube, too. Okay, animal robots. They're developing animal robots for home use. You know, if you want a pet that doesn't poop and you don't need to feed it, it requires minimal maintenance. I saw a whole bunch of robots that were cute, but they weren't like animals that existed. They were just like cute things. Oh, you know, like cute blobs or cute shapes. Sure, like Furbies. Yeah, kind of like that. I didn't see one that was a seal. 
like this yeah. cute little seal. And when you scratched it, it would like react to you, like it enjoyed it. It like looked really cute. Yeah. The baby seal robot you're referring to is named Paro. Oh, even got a cute name, of course. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these animal robots are being used in nursing homes to help people socialize and keep their minds active. So Paro, people love him because he's adorable and he responds to your voice and interactions. You can actually play with him. Actually, I read some really funny stuff about Paro on their website. They say it has five sensors. It's got tactile, light, audio, temperature, and posture sensors. And it learns from how you treat it. So they say that if you stroke it, all nice, you know, you pat them on the head, it'll learn that you like whatever it's doing and it'll try to keep doing that. But if you beat it, it'll remember <laughs> and it'll try to stop doing whatever it was that made you beat it. They say this on their website. I don't know if I like that. I know. Who's beating this poor little baby seal robot? Another thing I noticed, you know, through, through all this research about these robots, I was always tempted to call them he or her just yeah, based on how yeah. they looked or whatever, but... Most of the places I was reading, they're pretty good about calling them it. And on this website about Paro, they always call Paro an it, except for that one sentence where they say, he feels being stroked and beaten by a tactile sensor. What? That's so weird. <laughs> it was like whoever was writing that must have felt some sort of empathy towards Paro, and they're like, oh, poor little Paro. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. They imagine the people testing that. I'm yeah. going to beat him up all day and see yeah. if he changes. Go club the baby seal. <laughs> <laughs> they got an intern to do that for him, I'm sure. Another animal robot that I came across was Ibo. Ibo? Didn't hear about Ibo? Sounds like a dog. He is a dog. He's a, a commercial robotic dog manufactured by Sony. And they say, quote, As Ibo learns its environment and develops relationships with people, its identity takes on more and more layers. How do you want that identity to take shape? So the idea is it actually develops a personality over time depending on how you interact with it. That That's cool? really interesting. Yeah. There's a companion app you can get on your phone that you can use to teach it new tricks and stuff too. And it keeps records of its experiences and uploads all that data to the cloud. So it creates this database of memories that you can check out and be like, oh, there's the time that he pooped in my shoe. You know, he remembers that. <laughs> you can ask him to take pictures. Yeah, I'm calling him him again. It's an it. It. Yeah, it takes pictures. You can make this robot dog your wedding photographer. Okay. I kid. I doubt he's that good. And all the pictures would be from like a foot off the ground. So that's not great. <laughs> there are robots that take photos. A lot are, of them do. That you can hire to like walk around your party and just take photos. That's cool. Or roll or however they move. Yeah. Yeah. So you can like hire an event photographer that's a robot. And they have facial recognition too, I'm sure. So they can like focus in on, oh, here's a group of people talking. Yep. Yep. Crazy. Uh, so the coolest thing I saw about Ibo is that this is one of the few robots that you can actually buy and bring home. That's cool. Do you want to guess how much Ibo costs? Hmm... $2,000. You're only 50% off. $3,000? $2,899.99. Oh. So yeah, about 3000 Okay. 
Kind of expensive. Yeah, I mean, probably less than a real dog over time. Mm -hmm. Social robots. These are robots designed to interact with people. And, you know, most of what I saw is that these are used in nursing homes because, as we have said, Japan has an aging population and robots can actually help alleviate some of the loneliness that is common in those types of settings. Yeah, I saw they have robots that lead activities for the group. There was one robot that was playing a guess what kanji this is game, and it would just prompt everyone, what do you think it is? And it would display the kanji on a little screen on its chest. I think you're talking about Pepper. Yeah, Pepper. Pepper is in, uh, she's been tested in nursing homes. I call her she, I don't know. Depends on how you dress it up, I guess. I saw actually there was a, an old couple that bought a Pepper for their home because their kids had left home and they were getting lonely. Yeah. And the, uh, the wife would like, she sewed all these custom clothes for Pepper so she could dress her up like her daughter. Okay. Yeah. I feel Pepper looks female to me. Yeah. I thought, and the name just yeah. seems to lean in that direction somehow. Yeah. yeah, Pepper is pretty cool. She can lead games and exercises for residents, like you said, including dementia patients. It's supposed to help a lot with uh, keeping people active, keeping them engaged mentally. Pepper is fully autonomous and can actually sustain a conversation, which is insane. So she'll ask people questions about where they are and who they are. And researchers actually found that people who interacted with Pepper saw a significant improvement in their mental health. For whatever reason, it seemed like a lot of the residents of these nursing homes reacted more openly to robots sometimes than they did to the humans that worked there. Definitely. For Isn't that weird? For whatever reason, I couldn't quite come up with a theory in my mind on why that is. I remember seeing a documentary years ago that talked about the emotional connection between humans and robots, and they found that people can actually emotionally bond with robots and that talking to robots about your problems, like talking to a robot therapist actually works, like it makes people feel better. So maybe it's just as simple as the robots have more time for them than the staff does that's running around taking care of a hundred things. That could be a big part you of it. You can sit there and talk to a robot for two hours and start to like feel a connection to it that you never got a chance to build with the nurse. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, apparently they have also found that people trust robots more than they do humans, which, I mean, it kind of makes sense just because I've never heard of a robot that is programmed to lie to you or anything, <laughs> but... Wow. Well, that might be our future. We got other 40 or whatever years, maybe, until we're in uh, old people homes, and maybe it'll just be robots everywhere. I and might enjoy that. Hopefully you and I are still hanging out together when we're that old, but... We'll I'm also to the same home. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also looking forward to having some robot buddies. That'll be pretty cool. As long as they're not better than us at Mario Kart. Because <laughs> you know that's what we're going to be doing in retirement when we're in wheelchairs and can't move. Come on, you know the computers can't beat us. <laughs> um, so to jump back to Pepper for a moment, you might have actually seen Pepper around if you've been to Tokyo recently. Pepper was co-developed by a company called SoftBank. And you can actually find Pepper at some of their larger cell phone stores. Pepper's there to help customers out and stuff. And draw people in, I suppose. 
And if you want to buy a pepper, you can. You want to guess how much that one is? Mm, 8,000. Close. 10,000. Okay. Another robot I saw that has been used in nursing homes is called Telenoid. I've heard of Telenoid. What a name. Yeah. It's a weird name and a creepy little robot. It's super creepy, I think. People seem to like it. Yeah. Do you want to describe it? It's like this cute little blob. It's like kind of got stubby, almost arms, but they're not arms. It's like a worm baby. Yeah, and the head moves around. It's got a head on it that moves around. Yeah. The head is the most human-like thing. It yeah. looks like a little baby head, but then its, it's body just kind of tapers off at the bottom. It doesn't have any feet, and it doesn't have hands, but it has arms, just like these little stumps that stick out to the sides. Yeah, and you hold it and the head just flops around and moves. <laughs> yeah. And then it talks to you. <laughs> yeah. I saw one article that said it struck them as, quote, something we'd see crawling out of the depths of hell on stump-like arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, totally. Yeah. And isn't it a actual person talking through it, too? Yeah, it transmits the voice and head motions of a remote operator. Paul's shaking his head at me. It just seems so creepy, you know? Yeah. They're just, they're just having a conversation with this little blob. And it's, it's supposed to be like a baby, but the head's like a little bit too big to be a baby's head and the body's all misshapen. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't have eyebrows. That's always a little disconcerting to me. Yeah. But, I mean, it's cool because people can actually visit their loved ones remotely by <laughs> by by possessing this... this <laughs> That's a good no. word. <laughs> you just transmit your soul into this little <laughs> creepy baby and you can talk to your your loved one. In you the know, home. phones exist, so you could already do that. You can't caress a phone and a phone can't move its creepy little head around. <laughs> Talking to grandma, we'll be, we'll be crane my head up in this creepy way. Like, what do yeah. you think? What? I don't know. I'm just not know. there yet. I'll get there someday. Yeah. It's still too new for me. Yeah. You got any more creepy robots for us? Um, well, there's, there's a similar sort of idea in a, this other robot made by a company called Telexistence. Okay. You can maybe guess where, where I'm going here. The idea is that these robots that they make can mirror one's actions remotely. So did you ever see that movie Surrogate? No. I think that's what it's called. I never saw it either, but... I'm pretty sure this is right. The idea was that people had like these robots that looked exactly like them that they could send out into the world and they could, you know, live their lives through these robots. So like you're never in danger, you know, if you get hit by a car or something, oh, that's just my surrogate robot. I'm still just fine sitting in my home, you know? Okay. So that's basically the idea with these robots. Imagine teleconferencing for work instead of just seeing your co-workers on a little screen, you're wearing this VR headset and you have a robot body that you can use to interact with things. So like if your dumb co-worker says something stupid, you can reach across the table and smack them with your robot arm. And it's not assault because you're only hitting their robot, right? Yeah, what are you going to do? Sue a... Oh, oh, you're saying they have a robot. Yeah, if you hit it. Yeah, yeah you, you were hitting a real person? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. With your robot? You can just say, oh, my robot arm malfunctioned. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> Stop malfunctioning. Stop malfunctioning. <laughs> uh, there are educational robots now in Japan used as teacher's assistants. 
I heard a lot of them are used to help teach English. But cool. I, I couldn't find a video of like that happening, maybe because it's in schools and there's less videos being taken. Mm. But that's really interesting. I don't know if it could answer questions or if it just like how it says the words to help them hear it more. Yeah. And there's that added benefit because you can't bribe a robot with sexual favors for better grades, you know? Yeah, I guess not. What does a robot want though? I get you that. I can get you that super amperage recharge tonight. Really get your battery humming. <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing it in this episode. This it's just I'm having too much fun. I saw some guard robots. Like uh remember from Robocop, that one that accidentally starts killing people? Yeah. I saw there were more and more guard robots around. It's interesting because like the robot is there and then there'll be a real security guard watching the video of what the robot security guard sees. I suppose it could be more efficient because you could have two guys watching what 10 robots see. Yeah. It was interesting to me that they got the person off the floor, but the robot's still there. Maybe it feels less like you're being watched, but you also kind of know you're still being watched. I don't know. They probably just did to save money. Yeah. Uh, I saw one robot guard named Ugo. Ugo. He's five feet tall. He rolls around on wheels and he wears a little police hat. Does he apprehend perps? I don't believe so. He doesn't get in physical altercations, but uh, there's one in an office building in Shinagawa. And uh, so his battery lasts half a day. Every two hours, he does a patrol around the building. And his face is like a black screen and it's got these animated eyes on it. I feel like I've seen a lot of robots where they use this kind of face. It's just like a screen, but then they can animate facial expressions and okay, stuff. Yeah. Or even, I mean, I think with Ugo, it's just the eyes, but they can make eyes really expressive. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It reminds me of uh, in Wally, Eve, the other robot that looks yeah. like an Apple product. Yeah. So when he's on duty, though, the screen says on duty in Japanese. He's, he's not a cute little okay. character at that point. But I found one little video of him where he had a temperature scanner. So he was like testing people for COVID as they come into the building. That's clever. Yeah. You don't have to expose any people. Mm-hmm. There's a story a couple of years ago of a guard robot in San Francisco that some building hired to chase homeless people away. Oh, man. Yeah, and everybody hated it. Yeah. Everybody hated it. And they got a huge backlash and they stopped using it at least temporarily i think yeah it was like the middle of the night and this robot's just coming by being like you cannot be on this premises if you do not leave i will contact authorities that is like, so not cool yeah especially because it's just another one of those things that distances the people that have to make those decisions from actually getting personally involved so they can distance themselves emotionally and be like they don't feel as bad about it when really you should feel bad about that. Yeah, that's a very interesting point about the ethics of robots. Mm -hmm. Like once we could automate the police someday, should we? Maybe they'd be more fair, but maybe it would disconnect us more like that. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, tough questions that uh, future generations will have to figure out. Yeah. I'm sure they'll take their bumps along the way like we all do. It's military robots. Those are really cool, but also scary. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to that same question of like, how much do we want to distance ourselves from the terrible things that we do? You know? Right. And do you keep 
the robots button controlled like a human has to hit a button for that bomb to drop or at what point do you start letting the software on the robot decide if the situation calls for the button to be pushed or the bomb to be dropped now i'm imagining a future where everybody has their own like personal robot in their house and when they have a dispute with their neighbor they just send their robot over there to knock on the door and start beating up their neighbor's robot or something you know (laughs) robot fights where does it end and a broken robot. Domestic robots are robots designed to help people around the house with everyday tasks. These are just kind of starting to appear, but I think they're going to blow up. They're going to be big. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, these are ones that are most likely to have a big effect on people's daily lives, right? This is the one I would buy. A robot that could do dishes? Are you kidding me? I would pay way too much money for that 10 g's sign me up sign me up you give me a robot that does my dishes for me every day i would pay at least ten thousand dollars and i would think it was the best investment i ever made in my life paul don't you already have a dishwasher yeah but i have to load it and (laughs) unload it and not everything fits in it yeah you need a robot to uh, operate your machines for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I would let the robot use the dishwasher. I'm not a monster. I saw there's a domestic robot called the Opry Attenda from Toshiba. It's created to assist elderly people living alone. It can help with basic things. The only actual example I saw of those basic things is that it can fetch containers from the fridge. Okay. Which is still, I mean, pretty cool. Hasn't everybody dreamed about the robot that can go grab them a beer or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. I saw one that was actually mounted to the ceiling in the kitchen. So it could really move around and get to almost anything. And it would like wipe the counters down and do dishes. Still in development. I don't think you can buy one yet, but it looked really promising. Just a big arm attached to the ceiling and then it could move around on the ceiling. That's cool. A company called Preferred Networks made a robot that can clean up a room for you. It actually uses artificial intelligence to look around and analyze the objects on the floor and then, you know, reach out with its robot arm and pick it up and put it where it needs to go. That's one of those things that sounds nice, but then if I got it, I would never be able to find anything. Where did the robot put my hat? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how it decides where things belong. And you'd just be like, you should have left it on the floor, Paul. (laughs) Mobility robots. These are kind of cool. Help people get around. I saw a really cool one. There's one called iFoot. iFoot? Yeah, it's developed by Toyota, and it looks so cool, man. It's like, imagine this futuristic chair that kind of wraps around you like it's almost like half of an orb or something, you know, this futuristic-looking chair. Okay. And then the chair has legs under it that it can walk with, like two legs. You said legs like it was this big deal, and I was like... It is a big deal. I was like, yeah, the chair has legs. (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess all chairs have legs, but these ones are robot legs. Yeah, now that I get they can walk, I get why you were so excited there. It's very cool looking, I don't know. Yeah, that sounds cool. It's like the first step towards those mechas that you can ride around in. I feel like I'd really enjoy that. Just pull my legs up and the chair's just walking me around. Mm-hmm. Was, to the fridge, to the bathroom. <laughs> there was uh, another one that they have called iReal. 
R-E-A-L. How are they not getting sued by Apple? I I don't know. This is like the most futuristic wheelchair I've ever seen. It's so cool. It's got these three wheels. There are two wheels in front, one wheel in the back, and it has two modes. There's low speed mode, where it basically functions just like an electric wheelchair. You're kind of sitting upright in it, and it goes around at a normal walking pace. And then there's high speed mode. Where it leans you back? How did you know? Because I was thinking in my head, how the heck does three wheels work? Now it makes sense. Yeah, it stretches out. The back wheel moves further back. And then you can go almost 20 miles an hour in this thing. And it even leans into the corners like a motorcycle. Oh, that's so cool. Dude, 20 miles per hour in a wheelchair? That's (laughs) badass. Yeah. I also saw a couple of robots called Murata Boy and Murata Girl. And they don't really help you get around, but they ride bicycles and unicycles themselves. I think the boy rides the bicycle and the girl one rides the unicycle. So they just wanted to, you know, show what they could do. Like they made these robots that can balance and do cool things like that. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed riding a unicycle. Yeah, I can't do that. That's really nice balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that would take a bit of practice. Yep. Oh, man. I still have a bunch more robots, but I feel like we've been talking for a while. (laughs) Let me try to speed through some uh, rescue robots and disaster response robots. Mm -hmm. After the 2011 earthquake, Japan used remote-controlled robots to decontaminate the Fukushima nuclear power station. Japan was, quote-unquote, embarrassed that they had to use foreign robots to do a lot of the work at Fukushima. Oh, no. So they've uh, heavily invested since then in more of these type of robots. Okay. I saw another robot called T-53N-Ryu. <laughs> Sounds like a robot. <laughs> it was manufactured by TM Suck. What? <laughs> I don't know if that's the way you say the name of the company. It's just all caps, T-M-S-U-K. Maybe you just say T-M-S-U-K. TM suck. That's what I'm going with forever. (laughs) This robot they made is a heavy-duty rescue robot. It has arms that can lift over a ton. That's a lot. Yeah. And it has other tools commonly used in rescue missions, and it can be controlled remotely, or you can have a pilot actually sitting inside it, driving it around. Cool. Mm Mm-hmm. There are chef robots. Yep. There's a, a company called Connected Robotics that has created two food robots. I saw that there's a takoyaki-making robot. That's one of them. I love his name, too. The Octo Chef. <laughs> That's a great name. And then they have a robot called Reita that serves soft-serve ice cream. Okay. That doesn't seem quite as difficult as cooking yakisoba. Yeah. I also saw a robot that cooked soba noodles as well. Awesome. Retail robots. And this... Seems like one of the hardest places to implement robots because of all the complex tasks that are involved in working in retail. Yeah, there are a like, lot of people around. There's a lot of uh, you can unpredictable do a, situations. You do a self-checkout, but could you like a robot salesperson? We're talking robots that can like stock shelves okay, and that okay. kind of stuff. And the way that they're training these robots, I thought was really interesting because they don't have to just program instructions into them. The way they're training these is that they have people with VR headsets controlling the robots, and then from the motions that the people make, the robot learns what it's supposed to do. You know, we already mentioned, I guess, that robots can learn how to react to ever-changing situations. 
Yeah. So some convenience stores have already started trying out robot employees. Family Mart says that it plans to have robot workers at 20 stores around Tokyo by next year. And Lawson deployed their first robot in September last year. I also saw a robot in Osaka that was being used to ask customers to wear masks and maintain social distancing. Okay, that's a good idea. I thought that was pretty smart because who's going to argue with a robot, right? That'd be pretty stupid. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened, though. There's mining robots, which I think is kind of good because, like, mining could be one of the worst jobs. Dangerous. Seemingly, yeah. Dangerous and unhealthy. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. Astronaut robots, Paul. They use a lot of robots in space, I think, for obvious reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, there's one that I found that is very cool because he's a little buddy robot. He, like he's a humanoid, short little guy that uh, they sent up in 2013 to accompany Koichi Wakata, the first Japanese commander of the space station. Yeah, they sent him a little robot buddy. Yeah, he's 13 inches tall, weighs about two pounds, and he speaks Japanese. Awesome. Mm-hmm. He was specially designed for zero gravity, and he's supposed to help Commander Wakata in various experiments. It can converse with people, recognize faces, and record video. Nice. They said that the goal is to basically learn about how humans and robots can interact in space, and maybe they'll end up sending a whole bunch more robots up there to help out. Cool. I mean, all those probes we send out, Voyager spacecraft as a robot... The Mars rovers are robots. Yeah. The Hubble telescope is a robot. All sorts of cool robots in space. But they're not humanoid robots, so they didn't make Jason's cut. That's right. (laughs) If you don't have arms, legs, and cute giant eyeballs, not good enough. Uh, What else you got? Well, in addition to these practical applications of robots, I also saw a lot of robots that it seemed like they were just designing as proofs of concept for new developing technologies. I saw one that's a, a John Ken robot. John Ken is rock, paper, scissors in Japan. Is it good? Does it learn? It never loses. What? It has a 100% win rate. What? It's cheating. It's not cheating. It's just insanely fast. It can use high-speed vision to recognize the position and shape of a human's hand once every millisecond, every millisecond. So no matter what you do, it can still adapt. And by the time your fist hits your palm, it's already beat you. Okay, I don't know the official rules of rock, paper, scissors, but I've always thought if you're watching the other person and then adjusting your hand at the last second, I've always thought that was cheapy. That's not how you play rock, paper, scissors. Well, you can only call a person out on that if you see them like, oh, oh, I need to re. Well, you know the robot's hand. doing it because it's programmed to do it. It doesn't need to tell you that, and you can't see it with your eyes. Well, now I know, so right, never well, playing against that robot. If you ever get in a match with that robot. I'm yeah, good at rock, paper, you scissors. You can call them out. But not against robots, apparently. That's really interesting. Let's make a rock, paper, scissors robot. Let's make it unbeatable. (laughs) So what does the future hold for robots in Japan? There's probably going to be a lot more of them. That's my guess. Like we mentioned before, Japan needs robots as part of their plan 
to be the society they want to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Mostly the way I see it, there's going to be a whole lot more of what's already there. The robots they've already got working in nursing homes, those are going to proliferate. They're probably going to be similar type ones in people's homes, helping them take care so they don't have to go to a nursing home. There's going to be more of the robots that clean. Like we've got Roombas now, but they're going to be doing our laundry. They're going to be doing our dishes. They're going to be doing a lot more as that technology gets better. Mm -hmm. The Japanese government in 2019 invested over $2 million in adding robots to schools to help teach. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. That might start proliferating, helping students study and tutor. Yeah. I mean, there's just going to be more robots and they're just going to keep getting better and better. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of effect that has on people and, uh, you know, the economy and stuff. I saw a study from 2017 that found the increased robot density in manufacturing in Japan was associated with not only greater productivity, but also local gains in employment and wages, which seems counterintuitive. I believe it. Robots create wealth. They create wealth in the economy. They're Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. It's more work getting done, more things happening, a bigger economy. And robots don't make money. The person that owns the robot makes money. So it's still people getting that extra money. But how does that money get to like the other workers, you know? That's a political question. Yeah, because I saw that that same study found that the opposite was true in the United States. <laughs> which little different, little different society we yeah, have here. Not exactly surprising, I guess. They found that more robots meant lower employment and wages in the U.S., although I did also see a more recent study that seemed to contradict that. So nobody really knows exactly what... I feel like there are bound to be unanticipated consequences, and we're going to have to adapt quickly to deal with whatever those consequences are. Yeah, it's totally new, so we don't know. Uh, I actually have a quote from the late, great Soichiro Honda, the founder of the Honda Motor Company. Okay. He said, any businessman incapable of taking advantage of robotics cannot be called an able businessman, but one who fires employees because of robotics cannot be called able either. Labor and robotics should prosper and grow together. I like it. Yeah. He sounds like that old school Japanese businessman where it's like solid business. We're here to make money, but also cares for the employees, like expects them to work for him their whole careers. And he's not going to abandon them and he doesn't expect to get abandoned by them. Yeah. You need to keep like the health of society in mind. Can't be all about extracting as much money from (laughs) your workers as possible. Yeah. And he said that back, or I actually don't know exactly when he said it, but he died in 1991. So clearly he said that before that. It sounds like he was kind of ahead of his time. Yeah, robots were really only big in manufacturing back then and Honda manufactured. So he probably saw the effect that they could have really early on and extrapolated that to the rest of society Definitely in his mind. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more service type robots, restaurants, you know, serving robots, cooking robots, bartender robots, just filling jobs that need to be filled, Mm -hmm. dishwashing robots, anything like that. Seems likely. 
So Japan currently has around 300,000 industrial robot workers. I saw that that number is anticipated to get to over 1 million in the next 15 years. Yeah, that's adding a lot of robots. And by 2025, the predicted revenue for robotics is around $70 billion. Wow. There are some more ideas that are even further out there that I thought were really cool. I got to talk about toilets. We mentioned in the toilet episode that there was a toilet they were working on that could sense if you were diabetic or not or where your blood sugar was at. Now they're trying to develop toilets that can sense diseases so they can tell like if you have the flu and you use the toilet, they know, oh, someone at this address is sick right now and they can use that to help stop pandemics or to help stop the spread of diseases or to even warn you before you even know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not feeling great tonight. Like all of a sudden you get a call from the doctor, uh, your toilet's telling us you have influenza. You should not go to work tomorrow. Yeah. And that's awesome. That could be huge in preventing future pandemics. Yeah. Your toilet tells you to stay home before you even <laughs> go and get anyone else sick. Mm-hmm. And maybe the coolest thing that I saw about the future of robotics is that Toyota has announced a smart city that they are developing. This is a prototype city of the future that they're building at the base of Mount Fuji. They're going to move in around 360 people initially. This is like the first cohort. Okay. Some of them are going to be Toyota employees. Eventually, the population is set to increase to over 2,000 people. So they're going to have 2,000 people living in this city that's supposed to be a living laboratory for testing autonomous vehicles, personal mobility robots, all sorts of you know other types of robots, smart homes, and artificial intelligence in a real-world environment. That's awesome. Isn't it? That's so cool. I would love to live there, man. Sounds yeah. awesome. I mean, you get to, these people will get to live in the future before the rest of the world gets access to it, you know? That sounds awesome, but it also sounds like they're the ones that are going to find all the problems <laughs> for us. That's true. Yeah. They're the troubleshooters. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this episode is uh, getting a little long, but hopefully, hopefully it's all interesting. We're getting towards the end, though. Let's talk about where you can find robots in Japan. If you were to visit and you wanted to go hang out with some robots, what do you got, Paul? The obvious one I saw plastered everywhere is the Miraicon which is in Odaiba, Tokyo. It's the National Museum of Emerging Science. And innovation. And innovation. <laughs> it's supposed to be really well done. I saw some videos of the inside. Looks like a lot of really cool interactive displays, a ton of stuff in English as well as Japanese, and a big robotic section. And they have an Osimo there that does uh, shows. Yeah, and Paro, the little baby robot seal. Ah, I don't nice. know if they let you, let you club him or not. Well, they might let you scratch him or pat him. Yeah. The Hasimo show is really cool. He starts behind a closed door, and they like lifted it up, and he ran out. He straight ran out. Everyone's <laughs> like, whoa, this robot's running. It's funny. It was really cool. Also in Odaiba, in front of a shopping mall called Diver City, There's a life-sized Gundam that you can see. And I don't know if you can really call this one a robot, 
maybe, but it doesn't do a whole lot. It mostly just stands there looking cool. But four times a day, it does transform from unicorn mode, where it has a single horn on its head, into destroyer mode, where it starts shooting lasers at people. No, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, uh, the horn splits into two, and then these armor plates on it start shifting around to reveal some uh, light panels that glow. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know if I'd go there just to see that, but there's enough cool stuff on Odaiba that I would definitely swing by yeah. to see the Gundam while I'm already in Odaiba. There's tons of cool stuff in Odaiba. I think I have video of that transformation process too. I th- I'll put on Pretty Instagram. sure you've shown that to me at some point. Okay, yeah. I'll post that for sure. And there's actually another newer life-sized Gundam in Yokohama that moves around a lot more. So this one is from the original Gundam series from 1979. And it does poses from the show. So it can actually like take a step forward, get down on one knee. It can move its fingers individually. Yeah, it's crazy. Pretty crazy. It's full sized to exactly how big a Gundam is supposed to be. Yeah, it's like 60 something feet tall. I saw videos of it kneeling down and seeing something that big take a knee like that and then stand up. Mm -hmm. It's impressive. I really want to see that in person. It does move really slowly, though. <laughs> I believe it. Can you imagine, like, the momentum from something oh. that huge and heavy? If it punched you, you go, you go a mile. Yeah. Oh, and uh, maybe this is the best place to mention this. I saw an interview with the creator of Gundam. He yeah. hates robots. Really? Yeah. They infuriate him. He doesn't even want to hear the word robot. Does he argue that Gundams are not robots? Yes. He talks about how Gundams are different because they're supposed to empower humans because they're piloted by humans. They're just extensions of the human inside them. You know, they're not autonomous, but he thinks that autonomous robots are going to make people lazy. He says that uh, it could be dangerous to a person's development and could change our values as a society. I mean, that seems inevitable that they're going to have a major effect on society. Yeah, I've been thinking about how we're already a little less connected because of the internet and we do everything over our phones. If we get even the little bit of face-to-face we have every day when just ordering food or whatever, if that all becomes robots and the skin delivered by a robot, it could lead to even more isolation of people in modern society, which is already kind of a problem. Definitely. And robots can be the perfect companions. You know, they never disagree with you. They never make you feel bad about yourself. Like, you know, maybe people will decide that they enjoy interacting with robots more than real people. I'm just going to live at home with my robots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet people will. Yeah. So if you really want the full robot experience, you got to check out the Henna Hotel. Yeah, it translates to like strange hotel or weird hotel. It's as minimal human contact as possible. You check in at the front desk with a robot. A robot brings your bag to your room and shows you where it's at. Even the door to your room has facial recognition to unlock it for you. Yep. There is no bar or restaurant, but there are a bunch of vending machines that will give you hot food or whatever drink you like. There are multiple locations too, so you can find one around. Yeah, last I heard, as of 2018, there are eight locations around the country. There's one in Tokyo, too, in Ginza. I saw some interviews with people that went, and they were kind of like, yeah, it's pretty cool, and I enjoyed it, 
I don't know if you'd go back though. You know, it's kind of like they were there just to see the robots. Yeah, I saw somebody actually call it kind of boring. Like once you get over the novelty of robots, it's like, okay, but there's nobody around. And like these robots aren't sophisticated enough for me to have a conversation with them. Yeah. But I do love the reception robots. The the dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they have like these android type ones. They're like these women receptionist people. I didn't see any men. Which is kind of interesting. It's always women receptionist robots at these places. Yeah. But then they're also dinosaur receptionists. And they look like they're straight out of Jurassic Park. They're like velociraptors. Except they have little bellboy hats on. Which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how they move around when they're talking to you. They're like gesticulating. Yeah, they're very animated. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. In the lobby, they also have an aquarium stocked with robot fish. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah. And when you get to your room, there are little mini robots that help you operate the TV and they'll, they'll play music for you and stuff. Pretty cool. Uh, another place you can see Osimo, that Honda robot guy that runs around. There's one of those at the Honda Welcome Plaza in Aoyama. They have a multi-purpose showroom on the first floor of the building that showcases Osimo's abilities And they show off the latest Honda cars and motorcycles. And there are robot trade shows every year in Tokyo. Yeah, I saw a number of references to those. The two biggest ones are the International Robot Exhibition and the Japan Robot Week. And there are other robot events around the country, too. I saw one in Nagoya that has a fun name. They call it RoboCup. I like that. (laughs) And I guess we couldn't end the episode without mentioning the robot restaurant, right? In Shinjuku. This is a place where you can see they have this crazy show with music and lasers and quote unquote robots. I gotta say, they're mostly just people dressed up as robots. There aren't really a lot of actual robots there. So it's not the place you wanna go if you wanna see real functional robots, but it is a super fun time. And I have some videos I can post on Instagram of this place too. Well, I think that's all I got. That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I'm tuckered out. (laughs) Me too. All right. Well, like I said, check out our Instagram to see some uh, robot stuff that I'll be posting. We are SJP Podcast. And check out our website too. We got some cool pictures there. You can reach out to us there. You can find all of our episodes. Paul, what are we talking about next time? We are going to read more folktales on the next episode. I can't wait. We're going to dive back in, and I think we found some really interesting ones. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear the one that you picked out, Paul, because I don't know anything about it. I'm excited to hear yours, too. All right. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time.